Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. Day May 6th for Governor Tate Reeves' daily press conference, just shy of an hour today. And uh, a lot of information covered there. We're glad to have you along for the ride on Sports Talk Mississippi as we get started again on Wednesday, May the 6th. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Thanks for being with us. Ceasefire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. It is altogether possible that the Doosan Bears have put together the greatest collection of players in the history of organized baseball. Uh, earlier today, a uh, five-run third inning proved to be the difference as they won 5-2 to two over the LG Twins to improve their record to 1-1 one and one on the young KBO season. It is altogether possible that with 142 games remaining in the regular season, the Doosan Bears will not lose again. What a day to be a Bears fan. Hey, Dad, I see you're chuckling a bit. What's up, my friend? Not a whole lot today, man. It's been a, it's been, I've been busy today. I've been doing a lot. I was, out, I was out and about for a change. Have you been to Hawaii today? Been, no, I haven't. It, no, it looks I have like not. you got a Hawaiian shirt on there, brother. I do. What's wrong with that? Just wear that one. I just can't, I can't see the details. I'm, I'm, I'm checking you out in the live stream. Uh, you can watch, by the way, at uh, supertalktv.com. Or on Facebook or Periscope or streaming all over the place. So, so what's going on with that shirt? I like this shirt. Well, I can't tell what the the big white. You've got like vertical got white stripes right. that yeah. start at the shoulder on both sides and 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 head south from there. I just can't tell what the it's palm trees. Yeah. Nice. It's a good look yeah. for you. I felt good. Yeah, I hear you. So, Rippy, what's up? Not much, not much. His, his thing is frozen out, in such enjoying a way. Enjoying the weather. His, his camera My is frozen, frozen in such a way. Look at it, man. I mean, look at his face. It's just like... <laughs> yeah. It's almost there like a simple go. computer camera isn't quite adequate, but, you know. Um, yeah, just hanging out. Did you wake up early to watch uh, Doosan and LG? No, I did not, but I, uh, I caught a couple... I caught a replay... I believe I caught a replay of it, or no, I caught a replay of a Samsung game uh, around lunchtime today. I stopped to eat lunch, and I was uh, I caught a little bit of that. So there you go. Yeah, the uh, the Kaiwum Heroes, that is uh, Rippy's team, improved to two and zero with a three to two win over the Kia Tigers. The Lottie Giants also off to a two and zero start with their nine to four win over KT Wiz. Uh, Dominant. So they're two and zero to start the year. Say what? Dominant. Dominant so far. Uh, Doosan evened its mark at one and one. Uh, the NC Dinos beat Samsung four to three, and uh, SK uh, the Wyverns knocked off Borky's uh, Hanwha Eagles five to two. That was a tough loss for your for your squad, Borky. Yeah, that one hurt. Uh, it hurt a lot, but uh, you know I think we'll bounce back here soon. So yeah, I'm two and zero. Yeah, you are. Okay, sweet, great to be me. Yeah. <laughs> Borky, you guys got behind the eight ball early. They gave up two in the top of the first, two more in the top of the third, and we're kind of trying to play catch up the rest of the way. Yeah, we've had starting pitching issues for a while now, and it uh, seems like the GM <laughs> hasn't corrected those. So From the 
limited, uh, limited, I guess, snippets I've seen of this Korean baseball action. It does seem to endear itself to television more because there seems to be a lot more action. Like even just the ambiance between pitches is kind of more interesting, and they put a lot more balls in play. Like it's more television friendly than your average major league game. Yeah, we didn't talk about this yesterday. So, and if you guys haven't watched anything of it from a significant standpoint, then it's. The, the announcing piece of it is a little bit different. You've got Carl Ravitch in his home and Eduardo Perez in his home, and so they're dealing with a little bit of a delay and kind of talking over each other some. I'm, I'm sure it'll get a little bit better as time goes by. And then they're doing a bunch of interviews. Like Anybody that's got any connection to Korean baseball that lives in the United States that they can get up on a video stream, they're interviewing them during the game. Um, Borky, no no, I can't tell the joke. I don't think I can. <laughs> no determination yet as to whether or not uh, uh, Carl's son will make an appearance in the during the game interview. But I've never, I can say this, I've never gotten mad at a broadcaster or a broadcast before because I've never done a TV game. The next one will be the first one that I do. But I imagine that it's a pretty difficult job. And so I'm not going to criticize, like, I, I poke at Booger some, but uh, he's better than I would be at, at that position. That day, watching that that regional game, where during an important inning in a postseason baseball game, they cut to <laughs> Dad in Bristol and start talking about Tennessee football without even keeping the scoreboard up there was a fireable offense to me. Ten minutes! The entire half inning took place. There was a pitching change, and they didn't even reference it because we're too busy talking to Dad. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Anyway, um, I think Boog Shambi's going to get involved, and he's going to do some of these games. And uh, I think Kyle have a son? Peterson. <laughs> no, he does not. He uh, he actually does not. Kyle Peterson is going to be an analyst on uh, some of the games as well, so uh, you'll get some uh, variation in the broadcasters as well. I will say this. I don't know if you guys have seen it or not. Uh, I, I don't know if where you're listening this afternoon you've seen it, but a big, big part of the culture of the KBO, the Korean Baseball Organization, is the bat flip. Like It's a really big deal they celebrate things all the time. We just got a message on the C Spire text line. The bat flip after a leadoff single is outstanding. My question, or a question that I have, is as we go back to Major League Baseball eventually, and this is the only baseball that we've had, and we know with certainty that Major League Baseball players are watching it. Mookie Betts was tweeting about it at midnight not last night, but the night before, you know, hey, all in on the KBO. Will we see more bat flips in Major League Baseball as a result of this is what we've been consuming until Major League Baseball uh, begins all over again? You just hope that certain people, when they see the bat flip, don't have heart attacks. We've got enough health issues going around around the world as it is, but God, if we start bat flipping in Major League Baseball on singles, uh, we might have a pandemic on our hands. Volume two. <laughs> it's fun, uh, and I think the the level of play has been pretty good. Somebody's seen some outstanding defensive plays. Guys can hit a little bit. They're scoring some runs. Uh, to Rippy's point earlier, you're seeing more balls put in play. 
when they were uh, kind of outlining what the KBO looked like before the uh, the first set of games day before yesterday, uh, pointed out the fact that uh, relief pitching uh, gets used a lot and arms get used maybe even more regularly than they do in uh, in Major League Baseball. So it's a little bit different in terms of brand. I, I've heard some scouts and some people that uh, ha- have followed Korean baseball in the past say that you know in terms of level of play, you're probably getting a talent level that somewhere falls between AA and AAA, which is a pretty high level of baseball, and that uh, outside of baseball in the United States, the Korean baseball organization, the, the game that they're playing here in South Korea is really second only to Japanese professional baseball after the big leagues in the United States. So it's a pretty good brand of baseball. I think it's consensus, yeah, probably the third best league in the world. Yeah. Yeah. And I just hope we get to the What's number two? Japanese. The Japanese league. Yeah. Um. It's also the Giants in Tokyo, isn't it, uh, Hey Dad? I believe it is. I don't know if it's Tokyo or not, but there there are a Giants franchise in uh, in Japan. I think it is the Tokyo Giants who the great Sadahara O played for. Who was wow? Their the logo home. is way better than the regular Giants. <laughs> Be careful. Okay. <laughs> okay. Man, it's it's just a really good look, is what I'm saying. The Giants logo is sweet, but this G with 1934 in the in the circle logo is awesome. They're located in in Tokyo, but they're called the Yamuri Giants. Oh, okay, I got you. Uh, yeah, Sadahara O, who uh, so is the all-time home run king in professional baseball, 868 career home runs at the age of 40. Back in 1980, he hit 30 home runs. Greatest uh, Japanese baseball player of all time is a giant. Greatest American baseball player of all time is a giant. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's a... Uh, oh, you just want to give me that? A... No no debate? I'm surprised. Okay. Wait, say it again. So the greatest Japanese baseball player of all time is a giant, and the greatest American baseball player of all time is a giant. Uh, are, are you giving Barry Bonds that title? No. Willie Mays. Okay. Yeah, I'll... Uh... I'll allow that argument to stand. Right. I'm not 100% sure that I agree with it, but it's 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 not insane. Okay. Ichiro was an Oryx Blue Wave, by the way. Got to figure he's in the conversation. For the Chicks greatest Japanese player of all time? That. Yeah. And Sadahara Oh, though, played for 21 years in Japan. Did he Which never Ichiro get a shot played here? For Ichiro played for eight in Japan, or nine in Japan, and then the 18 in the United States. That's a remarkable career. Absolutely remarkable. 4,300 hits. I'm trying to do some math between the two. Yeah, but there was a groundskeeper from the Tampa Bay Rays in 1997 who said he corked his back. So. Jeez. Wow. So, who I mean, else would... Can't... Do you say that Willie Mays is the greatest American baseball player of all time because he played for the Giants or because you genuinely believe that he's the greatest American baseball player of all time? I think he's the greatest player. I mean, Joe Posnowski did his top 100 baseball players of all time, and he had Mays at number one. Okay. Do you guys have a strong opinion about this? 
Borky Rich. Oh, yeah, was was Eric Gagne not included on this? Because, you know, that would be my vote. <laughs> I probably would still vote Babe Ruth. I wouldn't argue too much. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Um so again, the ceasefire text line is open, 601-879-4395. Let's go from uh, from South Korea to Germany for a second. And I promise not to make this be a big soccer conversation, but the Bundesliga is in the news and it's relevant to where we are in this time in history, global history. Because they are coming back. They're not the first sports thing to come back. So the Bundesliga is... That's the NFL in Germany. It's the thing that is the most popular. That is their professional soccer league. It is at the highest uh, level of the sport. They had multiple players who were Bundesliga players who tested positive for COVID-19. And yet they have come back... And I'm just curious how closely we believe that the administrators of professional sports in the United States are going to be watching how the Bundesliga in Germany handles the return of their sport to help make decisions about what to do with the NBA, Major League Baseball, ultimately the NFL, college football, etc., yeah, that's exactly why I wanted to bring it up. I promise we are not going to lead the show with Bundesliga soccer ever again. But I think it's important because of how valuable the Bundesliga is in Germany and what it compares to. I mean, the article I sent you guys, 200 countries get the Bundesliga. It's it's a worldwide phenomenon. It is their NFL. That's what it is. And it's a team sport. Yeah, they're playing baseball in Korea and Taiwan, but this is players are in more proximity with each other. And this league also had over 10 players, I think, test positive for the virus. And so I think this is the most comparable thing so far to our NFL or NBA as far as um, the the type of sport that it is, players being in close proximity to to each other, and the, the importance of the sport in the country. I think they are very similar, and so that's why I brought it up is if you are Adam Silver, if you're Roger Goodell, if you're Greg Sankey and the other commissioners in college football, I mean, are you trying to get in contact with these people to see how they're doing it and what worked and what didn't to tweak your plans? I think you'd be crazy not to, right? I think it certainly would make sense. German Chancellor Angela Merkel and representatives from the 16 states in Germany met Wednesday and gave thumbs up to uh, the Bundesliga paving the way for play to commence behind closed doors on either May 15th or May 22nd. So we're talking a week and a half or two and a half weeks from now, uh, depending on which date they go ultimately with it. The start date is expected to be firmed up uh, by the DFL, the Deutsche Fußball Liga, on uh, on Thursday. It's under unclear whether teams will resume their schedules where they left off when competition was suspended back in mid-March or if the match dates are going to be reshuffled. Bayern Munich certainly uh, currently is uh, leading the league over Borussia Dortmund. Uh, that's atop the Bundesliga standings. That may be getting off in the weeds a little bit more than uh, than you wanted to. We're not going to do the whole table? Talk about the top four? Sorry. No, Borussia Mönchengladbach? No? Oh, Okay. Wait, say that at Mönchengladbach? Mönchengladbach. 
Yeah. There you go. I th- I was proud of handling Bayern Munich and more Russia Dortmund, to be perfectly honest with you, with no hesitation. You did okay. You, you uh, almost got it. CEO of the league says uh, today's decision is good news for the Bundesliga. The decision is associated with great responsibility for the clubs and their employees to implement the medical and organizational requirements in a disciplined manner. Games without spectators are not an ideal solution for anyone. In a crisis threatening the very existence of some clubs, however, it is the only way to keep the leagues in their current form. I would like to thank the political decision makers from the federal and state governments for their trust. So, uh, the Bundesliga, which is the German professional football organization, uh, or, or the, the highest level of German soccer, uh, if you will, realizes that it's got a bunch of eyes on it. And that they have been kind of handed the keys by the government in Germany with not only German people watching closely, but the entire world watching closely. And Borky, this goes side and kind of side by side from a timeline standpoint with some NBA facilities beginning to open. Uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers are going to open their facility this Friday, so we're just two days away. And it feels like that's the the next step that had to happen in order for the NBA to legitimately think about reopening its league in whatever format it's going to take going forward. Yep, and then testing. I saw Woj uh, had a report out today. It's Adam Silver is still encouraging teams to only test players that have symptoms, which, as far as we know right now, is zero. But in case somebody shows them, those are the only players that are getting tested right now because it's still not wide-sweeping availability just yet. I do find it refreshing, though. Uh, Hey, hey, pause real quick. Do, Do you think that's the reason? Do you think it's because it's not widely available and available to everyone? Or that if they just test everybody because they can they are more likely to have positive tests pop up that would cause this whole thing to slow down they're worried about perception they would love widespread testing because that would get them closer and closer to back towards playing but they don't want to do it when it's not available like at least in some degree to the public i think it's a perception thing worried about optics Okay. Why would they not want to test more? That That's what's going to get them back playing sooner than But if they have a, a player that tests, it, it, it all starts back over. I guess that's what I was getting at. If, if they are, are testing asymptomatic players and somebody pops up with a positive, e- even if it's not rampant or all over the place, does that start the whole process over? And so maybe you would like to avoid the whole... <laughs> Yeah, this guy's carrying it. He's not showing any symptoms, but we tested and... Uh, Man, great. I'm usually the black to... helicopter guy around here. Look at you. I know. Aren't you going to have to find out eventually, though, before you start back playing? You are, I guess. But uh, anyway, the, um, the end of the point I was making is it is refreshing. So we're talking German soccer, and they have the support from political leaders. Even though we don't know if it's materialized or not because they're dealing with more important things, it is nice to hear them frequently reference, we need to get it back. Even the doctor involved, Anthony Fauci, out loud, I want Washington Nationals baseball back. Like They all at least acknowledge the importance of finding a way to get us playing sports again for multiple reasons, economically and then just like human morale. It is good to hear that it seems like we have people in charge that understand that and 
view it as something, not high on the list, not the highest on the list, but on the list of things to get back to normal. And it's, it's nice to hear that. Maybe the Bundesliga is not significant to you, but it's the first globally significant sports league to return to competition. And in terms of interest, it is broadcast in more than 200 countries around the globe. So pretty significant uh, for them to uh, be going down this road and doing it quickly. I mean, we're talking somewhere between a week and a half and two and a half weeks from uh, from right now. So what, we're Sunday is kind of the day on the calendar, not not this coming Sunday, but a week from Sunday, May 17th, where we've got some live stuff that's gonna, going to happen. So, so we've got baseball in South Korea that started two days ago. We've got the Bundesliga in Germany that's going to start in either a week and a half or two and a half weeks. And a week from this Sunday, so like nine days from now, you've got NASCAR returning, although without fans. You've got the, uh, the golf match that's happening down at Seminole in, uh, in Florida. Uh, that's got uh, Rory McIlroy and Dustin Johnson teamed up against uh, Ricky Fowler and Matthew Wolf. So there's some things that are starting to happen. And uh, this is not one of those days where I'm trying to give you the, oh, let's be all be optimistic. But y- you can't have everything happen until some folks kind of dip their toes in the water. And it kind of feels like there are a bunch of folks that are, at, at this point, ready to start doing that, kind of dipping their toes in the water, carefully reopening, getting in place. Uh, With the Bundesliga, protocols are being put in place to cover every single person and position that is permitted inside a stadium. Quarantines of at least a week will be required for all club personnel ahead of the first game. The goal is to finish their season by the end of of June, and the DFL, which is the the league organization, or the league level, uh, intends to test players and staff twice a week through the end of the season. So they've got uh, they've got some plans in place, and I think we'll all be watching closely. Hey, Dad will actually even be watching, not just waiting to hear if anybody got sick. I will check it out, uh, Mister West on the Ceasefire. Text uh, text uh, line says Richard, it's Bor Russia uh, Dortmund, not Barussia Dortmund. It's not Russia either. It's Borussia. Oh, potato, potato, friend, Mister 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 Quanzo Martin over there. All of a sudden, is the grammar police? There we go. <laughs> I know my German grammar. We'll take a time out and be back with you at Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Test line. Farm Bureau, check out favorites.com and go with the home team. John Harris will join us from the NFL's Houston Texans. Also, Steve Gent coming up to start the 5 o'clock hour today. He is executive director of the Sanderson Farms Championship. Instead of playing end of August, 1st of September, they will be playing end of September. Boy, the weather should be fantastic. Rippy, that golf course at that time of the year, end of September, is that kind of traditionally the best it gets there yeah i mean i think it's subjective but in terms of just weather and the way they can have that thing playing it'll be it'll be pretty awesome just for, i think it's more probably more so from a viewership standpoint because like they did have a couple hot days last year as y'all remember from being down there nothing too terrible but 
I mean, having to walk out, like having a couple of days, presumably, if it's sunny, to walk around and not really have to worry about, you know, breaking a sweat or anything, which should be should be pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah, that could be uh, could be really cool. So Steve Gent will uh, talk to us about all that's going on in preparation for the Sanderson Farms Championship with a new set of dates. Uh, we, we've seen this tournament have lots of different dates through the years. This is for an altogether different reason because they had kind of finally locked into a spot. Uh, it's just going to be really really interesting to see what that field looks like this year uh, because we will have gone so much time without golf uh, you know at that point hopefully we've been playing golf for a few months um, but you get fewer tournaments this year I mean there are fewer opportunities to make money and if that one is there and presumably will be okay help me out on this Rippy will this be the start of next year or the end of this year I mean, unless they change something, it'll be the start of the 2020-2021 season. Right. All right, so an opportunity to uh, to maybe jump out to a, uh, a fast start. Uh, a reminder that the C Spire text line is open, 601-879-4395. At C Spire, they're not just saying they care, they're taking action to show it through COVID-19 and every day from free wireless data for educational websites to connecting businesses with the tools to work from home. Learn more at cspire.com slash cspirecares. Uh, Borky, poll question today. Did did this come to you based on that picture that is floating around? Yeah, so the uh, the nineteen eighteen Georgia Tech game where everybody in attendance has a mask on? There is a guy in the background, if you look closely at the mask, he's got it pulled down. It's not covering his nose or his mouth, just kind of down around his chin. There's always that guy. I think he's taking a sip of booze, though. Maybe so. That uh, is altogether possible. Um, Tony, uh, Wasn't it banned Tony back then? Do what? Wasn't it banned back then? There's prohibition going on in 1918. I don't know. Got to brush up on my American history. That, that sounds, sounds like right. the right, the right time. Um, Maybe we- it was we had a device. No, he had it. Yeah. He was two. It started in 1920, 1930. Nice. He was two years legal. Congrats, guy. Mm, there you go. All right, Borky. Along those lines, poll question. Poll question. If wearing a mask is required for entry into a college football game this fall, would it stop you from going? No. Give me football. Yes, because you wouldn't feel safe. Or yes, because uh, you're stubborn. Hmm. I need Stubborn, to rework don't the feel terminology on that third one. Yeah. But. yeah, no, I like that. Uh, what do you think? Are there people that will choose to not go to football games because they have to wear a mask? I think it's a it's a, a mix of what uh, what Borky just said, though. There'll be some people who, you know, the mask signifies that it's not totally safe yet and that they don't want to risk it. But there will definitely be some who don't show up because they don't want to wear a mask, and a lot of those people will go to the game, walk up to the gate, and be turned away and then make a huge scene because they're not wearing a mask. I'll I'll guarantee that. It just feels like it's become so common, though. Everywhere you go, people have masks on. Yep. I was at Kroger earlier today. Everybody had a mask on. Are you required to wear one at Kroger where you are? They didn't have anybody like, you know, as a bouncer sitting at the door or anything, I walked in with my mask on. The guy looked. There was a guy there, but he just looked at me and you know, said, "Hey, have a good day." 
So I don't know. I, maybe if I had, be- had no mask on, he might have said something. Yeah. I'm getting better about it. I still find myself getting out of my car, taking a few steps, and then having to kind of slam on the brakes and go back. It's like, oh, geez, i got to put on a mask I, before I can go in anywhere. I met somebody today, and I immediately stuck my hand out, and I was like, oh, wait, never mind, and we, we fist bumped. I, I did that yesterday. I was talking to somebody, first time I'd ever met him. He stepped down, introduced himself. I reached out my hand. I was like, hey, Richard Cross. He's like, can we do that? I was like, yeah, guess not. My bad. Sorry. It's just a thing. Paula yeah. says, I will wear a mask to get football back. Absolutely. Uh, Richard w- and Wiggins wants to know if the mask has to have a cowbell on it. You just um, shake your head. <laughs> I shook my head Borky. a lot last year watching Moorhead's uh, play calling. Oh, Borky. John Harris on the Farm Bureau phone line when we continue at Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Middle of the week, 6th of May. Thanks for being with us. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Let's go to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. John Harris joins us right now from Houston, Texas. John, can you answer definitively, definitively, Ole Miss and Baylor? Are they going to play on either September 5th or 6th or something like that? <laughs> well, I am uh, I'm sworn to secrecy on it. Um, I'm sworn. I'm sworn. To. I, I don't mean the date. So, I, I, I was. I'm, I, I'm talking about the actual game. Is it going to happen that weekend, oh. regardless of the date? Oh, that's a good. That's a good question. I, look, we're we. I, I'll tell you this. We're doing everything possible in our building. I, I don't know if this. I, I think it went national on uh, Monday night, but we are adding at Energy Stadium a facility hygiene coordinator. We're the first group in the NFL with the first team organization in the NFL to do this in our building is actually NRG stadium. So we work out of there. All of our offices are there. I know a lot of NFL teams aren't like that. They've got their own facility away from the stadium. The stadium is just what they use on you know Sunday or Monday or whenever they play. But our building is actually our offices and everything are actually in NRG stadium. So we are in the midst of hiring a facility hygiene coordinator, which I would think for any event, be it college football, rodeo coming back in you know next February, coming back again, uh, all of our games obviously at home, uh, high school playoff games, they'll have the advantage of being in a building in which hopefully we're we're one of we're the first of many organizations that add a facility hygiene coordinator. So when you walk into our building, you know, hey, this thing has been taken care of. Uh, the 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 different aspects of COVID-19, hopefully you can feel, you know, I don't know if anybody's going to ever feel 100% safe on anything, but you can feel like, hey, they're taking the steps that need to be taken to be able to have mass events such as a college football game, such as an NFL football game. And my hope is that we are we are going to, you know, Richard, in quoting my boss, Mark Vandermeer, is the voice of Texas, he said, look, that's what, three months away? And June, July, August, that's four months away. And so much can happen in such a short amount of time. I mean, we could, we could get it all clear in a month and a half and all of a sudden have another wave of it and 
go back on quarantine for the next how many ever weeks. So uh, we have been making preparations for it to happen. I know that. So we are in the in you know, working to have that happen, and uh, hopefully we are going to have a, a college football season. And I know it would be a sad thing in Houston. It would be a sad thing for me. I, I miss you. Um, the fact that we'd have Ole Miss and Baylor. We're, people in our building are stoked about this event. We have a bunch of Baylor grads. We actually have a few Ole Miss grads in our office. So uh, they're really excited about having this ball game. And I, I hope that we're going to play it. And, you know, if it comes down to that they've got to make some contingencies, such as, you know, six feet away from each other and you got to spread out through the whole stadium, you know, so be it. I think, I think fans would do that just to be able to watch football. I think they would be – they would be happy to do that, especially in Lane Kiffin and Dave Aranda's first ball game. I'm curious. I don't know if you saw the um, the report from the Miami Dolphins that that they had kind of a plan in place uh, when fans are able to come back that would potentially take Hard Rock Stadium from I don't know sixty five thousand down to about fifteen thousand. So basically a quarter of its normal size. I, I don't know what the logistics of that are, and and how you tell some season ticket holders, yeah, you're in, and yeah. some season ticket holders, sorry, you're screwed. But at least it would give us football back with some atmosphere inside the stadium. Is planning like that going on with the Houston Texans as well? Yeah, I, I know. I know that we have gone through a number of different scenarios. Our president Jamie Roots. Um, who is instrumental in, in putting the Texas Bowl on, matching Big 12 and SEC, and the kickoff, uh, which will match Ole Miss and Baylor this year, Big 12 and SEC as well. Uh, he is a uh, well-respected figure in the city. He, his opinion, his thoughts have been heard by our, by our mayor, by our city council. I mean, he, you know, people are taking into account what he says, and the flip side of that is he gets to hear what is going on. He is a vital piece of all that, and he – has really kept us abreast of all the different things that the city is doing, the county is doing, that they're considering for uh, for all games, for our games, for the preseason games, for uh, obviously Ole Miss Baylor, for the Battle of Piney Woods, which is another college game that we have between two uh, local Texas institutions, Sam Houston State and Stephen F. Austin. So they've talked about a lot of different aspects. Um, they've talked about the season ticket package. Um, we just had a meeting the other day, uh, virtually, of course, talking about all the different things that the departments are doing in, in lieu of, you know, working at home and, and what's going on and, um, you know, uh, taking in payments for season tickets and, how, you know, how that's delayed and what the plan is. And, and really, it's obviously been disruptive to our business, of course, but we have taken yeah. those different uh, steps, of course, for people to say, okay, what if, what if we have to be, you know, two seats apart, six feet, this, all that kind of stuff. Our, our people in the building have definitely taken that into account and have been working on that and probably have been working on it for about the last uh, probably five or six weeks uh, in preparation for not only the bowl game but also for our games too. And then what do you do with the season ticket holders? How do you, how do, you do that? How do you repay them for being so loyal all these many years and then say, hey, by the way, um, you know, these first few games, you know, these people can go. And, and I know that they've been working on that. I am not part of that. They keep me out of that. They just want me to talk football, which I'm fine with. Uh, but I know those <laughs> plans have been those plans have been going on for at least the last five to six weeks since we've been away from the building, for sure. John Harris from the Houston Texans on the Farm Bureau phone line. You can follow him on Twitter at jharrisfootball. Um, we get the, the schedule reveal tomorrow night, and obviously there is a uh, – 
uh, a hope that whatever they reveal tomorrow night turns out to be the case. I mean, as we continue to have kind of COVID-19 as the backdrop for everything that we talk about, do you anticipate anything different or any surprises uh, when we get that reveal tomorrow night? No, I mean, I think that when they do present it, I think what they're – my my gut tells me that they'll present a 16-game schedule. Like, this is the way we're going forth. And we have plans B, C, and D ready to go. But this, if we can play a 16-game schedule, we're going to let everybody celebrate that on Thursday night. And then when, if and when we have to go to a shorter schedule, that we do not have clearance from all 50 states, we do not have clearance from all the buildings in the NFL, then, uh, okay, let's what we need to move this back a month. We need to move it back six weeks or whatever the case might be that they've got plans B, C and D ready to go to say, okay, here was the schedule. Now we're going to have to lop off the first four games. So there's been some talk. I know we, we've talked about it in Houston about putting the cross conference games, the AFC NFC games right at the beginning of the year, such that if you had to move from a 16 game schedule to 12, so you move it back, from, from you know September you know early September to maybe October fifteenth, move it back a month. All you lopped off are those AFC NFC games, and you still have all your interconference games, which obviously end up being the more important ones. So we've heard that as a yeah. theory. I don't know if that'll come to fruition or not, because there are some pretty nice, very nice AFC NFC battles uh, this year. Tom Brady going to Tampa Bay obviously creates some of those, and I think they match up with the AFC West, which means Mahomes and Brady will meet yet again. But there have been, and I know there will be contingencies for that, but my guess is Thursday they're going to present the schedule and say, look, this is what we want to be able to do. But we all know that we may have to adjust. We're ready for that if we have to adjust. But here's the one thing that nobody really talks about, Richard, with all this, and I I know this hasn't just been in the building. When they have to announce these games, and you know this because you're in a traveling party of how many people that go with you for a game at Ole Miss. I mean, we, we when we travel, I mean, I know for us it's probably 160, 165 people. So finding a hotel, finding you know meeting space in the hotel, finding a hotel big enough to handle all that, that is not easy. It is, it's a nightmare. And then getting the flights, uh, our flight crew, all that kind of stuff that goes into it, You've got to have months in advance for all of that for the most part. So that's the thing I know that worries a lot of people in our building, especially people in football ops, like, okay, we got to start planning. The schedule comes out Thursday, and we'll probably get it in the building so our ops guys can start working on it. They get it in the afternoon. They pretty much, by the time that we go live on the air that night, they've already gotten this the, the game, the road games already kind of mapped out where they're going to be. They'll probably have yeah. three or four of them already completely booked. So that's the hardest thing. But I think it'll be a full 16-game schedule. They'll announce. And knowing if we got to adjust, here's how we're going to adjust. They may not announce that, but they'll announce that in due time. But I think that's what they'll do. Here's the 16-game schedule just as if nothing is happening. This is how we're going to do it. And then we'll adjust later. It's all going to be fascinating to watch this unfold over the uh, next few weeks and uh, even a couple of months. John, always appreciate your time. Hope you and your family are staying safe. We'll talk to you soon, my friend. You got a brother to you as well, my friend. Thank you. That's John Harris from the Houston Texans. We'll be back right after this. Sports Talk Mississippi.
Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm. C Spire text line open to you, 601-879-4395. Experiencing fever, cough, sore throat, or shortness of breath? C Spire and UMMC are partnering to offer free COVID-19 screening through the C Spire uh, Spire Health app for all Mississippians experiencing symptoms. Learn more at cspirehealth.com. That's cspirehealth.com. Um, A couple of new announcements today or yesterday from schools in the SEC who say we're going to be open this year. University of Tennessee planning to bring students back on campus this fall, according to a statement from the university. President Randy Boyd said, quote, we are planning for a safe return to campuses in the fall and we'll do everything possible to protect the health of our students, faculty, and staff. We will continually monitor the local and state health data and policies to be prepared uh, and be prepared to adjust and communicate our plans when needed. So Tennessee says the thing that pretty much everybody else is saying. South Carolina's statement was a little bit different as they basically said, we're coming back. They didn't get plan to or hopes to queued up and plugged into the statement. They said, as a university, we will reopen on August the 6th. That's more in line with the um, the language that you got, what, from the president at Purdue? Isn't that right? Yeah, Purdue, they even went so far to say that even if the virus is present on our campus, the risk it serves to our students is minimal so yeah this was the uh, the letter that the uh, university of south carolina sent to students and kind of its community dear students faculty and staff after weeks of analysis and consideration and in consul- consultation with the board of trustees i am pleased to report that the columbia campus of the university of south carolina will resume in-person instruction in mid-august period I'm digging it. Yeah, the SEC is going to have the least amount of problem Vanderbilt decide from actually starting. Rippy and I talked about it a little bit this morning. Uh, Tim Scott, we we ripped on it a little bit yesterday, and deservedly so, because the Pac-12 hasn't really been a participant in the college football playoff. We don't need the Pac-12 to feel comfortable having a playoff and crowning a champion right now. It's just the state of the league. But I understand why he was doing that, because he doesn't want them to get left behind, because there is a state within his footprint that has four teams in it, a state that is very likely to be one of the last to reopen and allow sports to happen again, and a state that doesn't have any local pressure. As you mentioned yesterday, like Eugene, Oregon needs Oregon football. So does Corvallis. So does Pullman, Washington. But the four colleges in California that play Pac-12 football they're in places that don't need it. And and so he was posturing a little bit. Who I feel bad for is the commissioner of the ACC more than anybody else because he's got Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, Virginia, New York in his footprint. Very different places. Massachusetts. Massachusetts. It, like Clemson is very, very similar to Oxford and Starkville. It is a college town. Clemson, South Carolina, believe it or not, is Clemson University. It is a small college town. They need, just like we need here, 
Clemson football to survive. So he's got that in place in one of his member institutions. And by the way, the crown jewel of his conference right now. But he's also got Syracuse in a state that got hit by this harder than all the other states combined almost. I mean, New York's problem is so unique to New York. How are you going to to try to navigate that? And you've got two teams in Virginia that has leadership that is very reluctant to open, but you've got Florida who's open. You've got Georgia who's open, or to some degree. South Carolina who's trying to open to some degree, and a few of your colleges need football for their towns to survive, and you've also got one in New York where that's real devastation up there. I don't envy him at all. Yeah, I mean, in terms of states reopening, I make fun of Arkansas sometimes just because. The state of Arkansas has arguably done the best job of any of the 50 states in the union in terms of handling coronavirus. They have half the cases of the state of Mississippi. I mean, they're 3,500, maybe they've gotten to 4,000 cases at this point. Arkansas is in fantastic position. Don't have to worry about Arkansas. Mississippi has begun the reopening process. Alabama has begun the reopening process. Texas started last Friday. Uh, They reopened restaurants at like 25% capacity. They've certainly begun the reopening process. Georgia started it last week. Florida is starting that process. South Carolina, you mentioned. We've done that as well. Um, I don't know about Kentucky. I don't guess I've read anything specific about what Kentucky's doing. Uh, If they've not gotten there yet, they will. Tennessee has plans in place. and to, to kind of start things as well, everybody's going to be open for business. And the universities within these states all across the Southeast, they're going to be open. And if the schools are open, we're going to play football. And if the schools are open, businesses are going to thrive. Can, can we all agree That when we reopen everything, restaurants are open, a month from now nobody's telling you you have to wear a mask, some people will do it voluntarily, many others will not. Um, We start bringing college students back into these communities who've been scattered all over the place. We're having more social interaction, we're going back to church, weddings are happening. We can all agree, I think, that there's going to be a spike in positive coronavirus cases. Especially as testing increases on top of what will be more human contact. But we can't freak out about it and go, oh my gosh, we had a spike in tests, shut it all back down! That's not how this is going to work. We're not going to be able to do that. You have to go into this process eyes wide open and say, okay, there there are certain precautions we've got to take. We've got to be careful. We've got to we need to wear masks even when people are saying you don't have to wear them anymore. And I'm talking to myself. Well, I mean, you're, I don't you're know. Talking to I don't too, know if man. myself is listening, but I'm talking to myself. I, 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 walking around the grocery store today with a mask on was terrible, especially when we wear glasses. I mean, it's almost impossible for them not to fog up constantly. Yeah, and it's just it's just miserable. But it's sort of what you got to do. And but you're right. You know, I'm, you're you're talking to me too. I got I got to be the guy who's smart enough to say, 
hey, I, I need to do this. Yeah. But we can't have, like, this freak-out moment where everybody going, I told you so! I told you if we opened everything up, then we were all just going to... The whole damn thing was going to fall apart. It's... Well, that's... It's going to happen. It's going to happen. In newsflash... But the world the, has to continue to rotate on its axis. The Earth does. Yeah. I, I was about to say, newsflash, the whole damn thing's falling apart just in a slightly different way already. You guys with the language, please stop. Gosh. Ah, Borky was just using it as... He's just got a potty mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I was quoting you! I was trying to make a point. It was a good point, but it, it, that's what it is. You saw it in Florida. No, I mean, tune no, in but, get... I'm not trying to derail that thought. The reason, Borky, that I say what I just said is how are we going to address it within the confines of, oh my goodness, a football player on Team X tested positive for COVID-19? Are we going to say, everybody shut it down, we can't do anything for two weeks? We can't do that. No, it's, it's going to have to be a Start situation Start and where, stop does not work. It's going to have to be a situation where if somebody on a team gets tested positive, everybody on the team has to be tested, everybody's been around them, and you're just going to have to, you know, it's going to be just like anything else. You know, somebody gets sick at work, it's like, you know, we have you kids. Treat it like an injury. You, you, Richard, you and I have kids. You know full well that if your kid come, if one kid at that daycare is sick, your kid's going to get sick, and then you're going to be sick. Within, well, it's just a chain. It's going to happen. So you know, we just have to be as preventative as we possibly can. But the, but you can't you can't have a 100 percent prevention rate on this. You just can't. Well, and, and and the idea that, I mean, okay, how could a football player get it? Well, classes start back. They go yeah. to biology class. They sit next to a kid that sneezes. Like get germs. I mean, I mean, it's going to happen. Connectivity on campuses is it will be impossible to avoid it. So we got to figure out how we're going to deal with it because you can't just shut it down because a person tests positive. You just got to be. We got a plan for that. I don't think we've talked about that. Sports Talk Mississippi. C Spire text line Quinn chimes in. I've heard some professionals say that illnesses in general are going to spike due to suppression of the immune system through social distancing and quarantine. I buy that. I mean, hopefully it's in a time of the year where there's, generally speaking, less illness. You know, you're not, like, right in the middle of flu season as things kind of open back up. But, I mean, let me go back to what we were saying before the break. Because this is this is real, like what we're about to deal with. We're in the process of reopening. We've got to continue to be careful. But inevitably, like there's not a debate. There's no question it's going to happen. When we get everything moving again, college campuses open, Churches begin again. We're having weddings. We're going to funerals. We're socializing. People are playing golf and going swimming at the country club. All the stuff that's going to happen as soon as our elected officials say you can, 
We're going to have more positive test cases. We're going to have more positives in the fall when college students get back on campus. And and so, you know, through through talking to some folks, that's part of what they're wrestling with right now. And, and when I say they, I'm talking about 14 athletics directors in the SEC and Greg Sankey and Charlie Hussey and the people that are on the task force at the, the league office. I think that's what's happening probably in the ACC. And, Borky, you, you pointed out earlier, I mean, good grief, John Swafford, because the AD and the president at Clemson are looking at it differently than the AD and the president at Boston College. And it's Syracuse. And, and with good reason. But we all have to accept that that's going to be part of the reopening process. There are going to be people who get sick. There are going to be people who die from getting sick. But that's inevitable. And so I think the issue that people are wrestling with who are in decision-making places right now, one of the big issues is, okay, how do we handle it when someone gets sick? Hey, Dad, when the right tackle for Mississippi State tests positive for COVID-19 during week three of the season... We're not shutting down the entire Southeastern Conference. Right. And let's let's go to Mississippi State schedule just for a second, J- just to play this example out. I'm not picking out picking on the right tackle for Mississippi State. Okay, so it happens during week three. Let's say right after the game. Doesn't feel well on Sunday. Okay, so they just played Arkansas. So now you're gonna say. We got to put Mississippi State's entire team in quarantine. Arkansas's whole team's got to be in quarantine. Well, Mississippi State played NC State seven days ago, so they got to go into quarantine. Well, everybody that was in class with the right tackle at Mississippi State's got to go into quarantine because they had contact with him. But the way this thing spreads, everybody that was in class with somebody that was in class with the right tackle for Mississippi, it's not going to work that way. And so that's, I think, what people are trying to figure out because unquestionably, not not only is it going to happen, people are going to kind of freak out when it does happen. Man, there's no question about that. And it's just, it's, I am not, I don't, I don't, I don't, it's a slippery slope here. I don't want to hold, have the whole, you know, it's no different than the flu discussion. It's clearly not the same thing. But if, in your example, if the right tackle for Mississippi State got the flu, they wouldn't shut everything down. No. And it, but it, you but you know full well, a good portion of the team is going to get sick. So all you can do is just be as preventative as you can be in this situation. You know, do everything. If you, I feel like if you're taking all the necessary precautions, if you're doing everything you need to do, and if somebody does get sick, you do as much as you can there. It, it's going to be okay. You know. Now, does it does it have this the potential for tragedy? Yeah, of course. So does everything else in this life, you know? I mean, you just yeah. You can just go out there on any given day and then, you know, get hit by a car. So you just have to do as much precautionary work as you can, and I think if that happens, I think everybody will feel okay about the outcomes regardless. Uh, let's see here. Cody and Petal, I agree that there will be an uptake in positive cases, but from the beginning, this was what we were told indirectly. All the measures we have done were to flatten the curve. Right. 
It was to flatten the curve so as not to overwhelm our health care system. Paula says, Richard, my hope is there will be less other illnesses. People have learned to wash their hands and not touch their face as much. Hand washing, yes. Face touching, eh. I don't know about that. It's impossible not to touch your face. It's habitual for me. Yeah. I mean, we we sit here on the break, and when Haydad's talking, I got my hand on my face. Or when Borky's talking, I got my hands, like, folded together, resting on my chin. It's just constant. When Borky talks, I have my fingers on my ears. I mean, it's just, you know, it's just the way it's got to be. <laughs> As do most people. <laughs> uh, Spire text line, I work in big box retail as a manager, and we are exposed to potential cases every day. Hundreds of customers a day right now. Our sales are elevated by tens of thousands. Ceasefire text line, can only safely open with a vaccine for the virus. Okay. You can make the argument that, that that's the only way that you can safely open. It is not, however, the only way you can open. Yeah, it's one of those. He's technically correct. That's the only way we can be safe is if there's a vaccine. But there are, there are varying degrees of safety, I guess. There's 100%. There's 0%. you got to try to find the best balance that you can. I mean, I've seen hmm. people suggest that, well, for to bring it back to sports, well, sports can't happen unless the vaccine's here. That could be a year, 18 months from now. The amount of money lost and jobs lost and families not knowing where their next meal is coming from that will result from having to wait for anything for another 12 months is astronomical. We can't survive without normalcy for 12 more months. It's impossible. We can't wait for a vaccine. It's impossible. How about Greg's point? He says, if it's happening, please address restrooms at these stadiums. That's right, you can't. That's my point. He's right. I mean, when 5,000 or 7,000 people use a specific restroom in a three-and-a-half-hour window, it's going to be kind of gross. And even, even like you have you attendants about, in there that are like constantly cleaning. And you think about like a basketball game, which is, you know, at Mississippi State, maybe a tenth the size of a football game crowd. But if you go, you know, there are times during a timeout, I, I, I run upstairs and try to duck into the bathroom. It's always got people in it. It's always, you know, I'm always waiting to use the restroom. So, I mean, even if you cut the attendance down to 15,000 to 20,000, they're still going to be packed with people. So, they're, 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 Greg is right. There's, there's no way around that. Here's the text, and I'm not going to read it verbatim, but I am going to ask a question that kind of goes along with the the text. Are the people who are saying we can't reopen until there's a vaccine, and I don't think that's what our texter earlier was saying. I think he was saying you can't completely completely feel safe reopening until there's a vaccine. That's fine. Are the people who are jumping up and down in their chairs and yelling at the clouds, we can't reopen until we have a vaccine. Are are those people actually going to use a vaccine? Or is that the anti-vaxxer crowd that's claiming we have to have a vaccine to reopen, but then they're not going to use a vaccine because, you know. I mean, anti-vaxxers claiming for a vaccine doesn't seem to add up, but I am not well-versed in Oh, this that type of person. Or whomever. Oh, Rippy, I disagree with you that that doesn't add up. 
the people that don't like vaccines want a vaccine? What 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 decimal am I missing there? How does that add up? Um. I don't know how to answer that without sounding hugely political. I won't get you in trouble. I just turn in the Gallo tomorrow at six. Ben Shapiro yeah. tonight at nine. You know, whatever. I'll just say that I would just say that people who are anti I get your general probably, point. Probably dumb enough to figure out a way to be for a vaccine and against a vaccine at the same time. Well, I just I thought of the well, who was it? Djokovic. He seems to be an anti-vaxxer, and he was very yeah. clear that he, whether there's one or not, he didn't want to take it. I just, I wish I had, or any of anybody had that kind of job security to advocate shutting down everything for a year. Like, kudos to you for thinking that you're going to keep having an income if that happens. I think Keith the anti-vaxxers are waiting on their moment to pounce. They're playing it cool for now. I think Keith actually points out, he goes, they want you to have the vaccine. <laughs> That's right. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. We'll be right back. Greg, I hope you'll forgive me. I've received your most recent text message. I'm just going to not read it right now. Um, Sorry. Lisa and Clara says, uh, just because there's a vaccine doesn't mean a person won't get it. John and Starkville says, Sound like, uh, sounds like vaccines are rules. They are great for everyone but me. Uh, somebody says you take the vaccine if you get sick. The public would feel safe to attend events. I mean, isn't the whole point of taking a vaccine, though, so you don't get sick? It's kind of the point. I mean, right? You, you get a flu shot, which is a vaccine, so that you don't get the flu. Not, let's go get a flu shot, shot after I had the flu. Um, people aren't anti-vaccine; they are pro-choice for vaccines. And yeah, no. well, it's not really how I read those people, but okay. Uh, I don't do the flu shot, and probably would not do COVID one shot. There are a lot of people that feel that way about flu shot, and I'm not getting it. I I read those messages. As a reminder that vaccine doesn't exactly fix everything. And your usage rate for a vaccine, oh, it would be comparable to the number of people who vote in elections? 30%? Yeah. I don't know. Anyway. Uh, Richard Wiggins also says the flu vaccine is only 50-ish percent effective. Yeah, I I guess the the point that we're making in all this is a vaccine is not necessarily a magic bullet. I'm not saying that herd immunity is the the answer or anything. I'm just saying we're just going to have to be cautious and take some risks all at the same time. You want to be part of the show, you can. Ceasefire text line 601-879-4395. Don't forget you can subscribe to the Sports Talk Mississippi podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, wherever you listen. Just search Sports Talk Mississippi to get the latest podcast on your device. And while you're there, be sure to subscribe to Thunder and Lightning. Some guy named Hey Dad with Joel Coleman on that show, The Rebel Report with Michael Borky and Brian Scott Rippey and... 
the Super Talk Eagle Hour podcast. All of those available, excuse me, available wherever you get your podcast. And also uh, supertalk.fm slash connect. That's the way you can figure out how to listen to or watch the show wherever you are. Got it uh, available in a bunch of different places. Hey, Dad, you're going to love this. You're going to love it. I'm excited. The Southeastern Conference has a new coordinator of basketball officials. Mark Whitehead stepped down, decided to do something else. Mark was a good guy, by the way. And Mike Eads, who has been the recipient of derision from basketball fans here and yon through the years. 24 years as a veteran of college basketball official. Three Final Fours. He is the new coordinator of men's basketball officials for the Southeastern Conference. He is a... Nobody cares that he's a graduate of Bluefield College, just uh, so you know. Uh, Greg Sankey says about Mike Eads. What? Was that rude? Well, no, I was going to say, I I had a theory on him, but now that I've found out he went to Bluefield, it's completely shot. Bluefield College sounds like uh, one of those colleges that uh, a very poorly done, like, 90s satire college movie college is called. Yeah. Yeah. Mike Eads will bring nearly a quarter of a century of men's basketball officiating experience and knowledge to the SEC's officiating program. He has experienced success as an on-court official at the highest levels of college basketball and has developed relationships during his career that will be beneficial in supporting the men's basketball officiating program of the SEC. We have a terrible situation here with men's basketball officiating. Our officials are awful, and we need to fix that. What should we do? Promote one of the officials. Got it. Nailed it. Raleigh News and Observer headline. Bad news for ACC basketball. One of the sport's best referees is hanging up his whistle. You disagree? They're all bad. They're all bad. There's not one that I just go, hey, okay, at least he's going tonight. I feel like it's going to be okay. <sighs> how do you? Okay, so how do you make it better? I, that Again, that's one of those things I don't know the answer to. My first thought, though, is don't promote one of the officials who's been bad to being in charge of the officials. He's considered to be one of the best in the game. Eh. Well, I mean, I'm considered to be one of the skinniest hate ads, but that doesn't mean I'm skinny. Are you really, or did you just make that up? My dad was bigger than me. <laughs> so in a crowd of two... <laughs> Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. We will take a time out. When we come back, we'll talk some golf. We'll do that with Steve Gent. He is the executive director of the Sanderson Farms Championship. Looking forward to that chat next. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi streaming supertalk.fm. Rolling into the 5 o'clock hour. Let's go to the Farm Bureau phone line to start things off. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team at Mississippi Farm Bureau. Steve Gent is executive director of the Sanderson Farms Championship. You may remember our conversations with him at the uh, end of last summer, right as we were rolling into football season. Uh, a great event last year at Country Club of Jackson. And uh, Steve, 
Uh, I'm assuming that preparing for this year's event has had its own unique set of challenges, even for a guy like you who's been around golf tournaments for a long time. Well, I would tell you the last eight weeks have definitely been different. Um, I don't think anyone foresaw this, and I think the advantage that we have is that you know we still have just under five months lead time, and so we'll learn a lot from these uh, the tournaments that happened before us. But um, yeah, it's caused us to, to to take a look at quite a few different things that we that we didn't look at last year for sure. What's it going to look like on June 11th in Fort Worth when they when they roll out at Colonial and they play a PGA Tour event without fans? You know, for those of us that play golf on a regular basis, you know, that's all we've ever known is playing without fans. How different is it going to be for these guys, and how different is the viewing experience going to be? Well, I think yeah, I'm not sure anyone really knows. I, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how the, what the TV product looks like, right? I mean, the the camera angles, and I know that everyone there at the uh, colonial is taking a look at what you do from a branding standpoint to, to, you know, make sure that your title sponsor and your sponsors are all represented in that broadcast. Um, it'll definitely, you know, they're, I think they're still, they're kind of going back and forth on whether they have ropes and stakes and things. Cause a lot of times that protects the TV cables, but it'll, it'll certainly look different without, without spectators. Um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how the how the players react to that. I, you know, you've heard I've heard some things where guys say, "Hey, it's just golf," and other guys have said, "Man, you know, the the spectators pump us up. I mean, you hit a great shot, and the crowd goes wild, and hmm. you know, it just kind of gets their adrenaline flowing." So, not having anybody there on the greens and tees, and it's going to it's definitely going to be different. I think we're all interested to see what what it does look like. Steve, the, the Sanderson's Farms Championship and, and the different different iterations of this tournament through the years in Jackson has been played in different places. It's been played on a bunch of different dates. There have been weather issues. All of those have, have kind of happened in the past. But it felt like things had kind of locked in. Okay, It's like there, there's a, a good date on the calendar. It felt really good for the health of the tournament. And now you get pushed back, what, about a month? What kind of an effect do you think that has on you? Or is there a scenario where this is a good move this year? Well, the date that we have is the, is the date we were always going to have. So the week of September 28th through October 4th, our date did not change in okay. the kind of the rescheduling of some events and moving some things around here this coming season and early part of next season. So we're two weeks later than we were last year, but we're, we're where we thought we were, which is the week right after the Ryder Cup. I still really, really like the date on the schedule. Um, you know, you've got the Ryder Cup the week before. Uh, which is really 24 players. You've got a U.S. Open right before that. Um, and there's just a lot of good golf this summer and fall. And I think the guys really, really want to get out and play. Um, we, you know, we got a lot of great feedback from some of the top players who had not played here in Mississippi before about the golf course, what they experienced. And from what I was, was hearing from the players before, you know, the, the season was postponed is they, everybody had heard great things about coming to the Sands Farms Championship. So we, I think we're set to have a really good field. I think the guys want to get out and play. I know the caddies want them to play. Um, you, you know, the world has completely changed on us here in what, eight weeks? And with five months to go, I mean, you know, it, it, what we, what we see this fall, hopefully we'll kind of get back to where we thought we used to be. But, um, I still really like our position on the tour calendar. I think it's going to be really good. 
Yeah, and forgive me for messing up those dates. I was confusing that with a conversation that I had earlier today about golf, and that just kind of messed everything up on me. So staying in the same no, spot. Yeah, you're fine. I think a lot. I've had that same thing. You know, people have asked me a lot. How did you know? What are your new dates? Well, our our dates really are you know stayed the same. It's just some things around this mood, but it's. I think we still got a great spot. Yeah, and and at the beginning of the new calendar, right, with the the wraparound schedule that that's, I mean, I know it's been in place for a few years, but that's still a relatively new thing for golf fans, and they try to remember, okay, where does one season end and where does the new season begin? Is the Ryder Cup or the President's Cup, well, President's Cup probably a bad example. I mean, I know the Tour Championship is kind of the line of demarcation, but is the Ryder Cup a good kind of waypoint for us to remember, okay, now it's time to move toward the new year? Yeah, I mean, that Tour Championship moved last year because the PGA Tour wanted to get, you know, their schedule and their season and their champion crown. They wanted to get that completed before football started, right? Right. And and that just that really got shifted back just one week. So they'll the Tour Championship will be Labor Day weekend this year. Um, and so finish on, a, I believe, on a Monday. And, you know, so I think that's, you know, there's either a Ryder Cup or a President's Cup late September, early October every year, a team event. This past year was interesting. It was just a little different because the President's Cup was in Australia and, you know, they, it was in December because of the weather down there. But, um, yeah, it's probably that's probably a good spot for people to say, hey, the fall is starting, even though there's a couple events right before that. Um, uh, you know, yeah, we're part of the new season, which is the other thing about it, this is, you know, this new season will have six majors in it. I mean, you will have a, a U.S. Open twice, the Masters twice. Um, and so it's it's going to be different, but uh, it'll still be kind of still that part of that 2021 season. Steve Jen on your radio. He's executive director of Sanderson Farms Championship. I know everything's not about money. I, I, I get that. But I'm curious if there is... If if getting the the winner's prize over a million dollars, which you were last year uh, when Sebastian Munoz won it, it, does that take you to a different level of status in terms of players who are willing to come and play? And and I'm not saying that a a check for you know eight hundred thousand to the winner is is chump change or anything like that. But given what these guys play for on a week in week out basis, how important was it to get to that number for the winner? Yeah, I don't. I don't know if it's it's specific to the number that the winner gets. It's maybe as much as it is the overall purse. Okay. Um, you know, we were we were just over four million dollars. It's an opposite event. You know, a, a unencumbered standalone date on the PGA Tour. It, you're in the seven million dollar, you know, plus or minus a little bit range. I think the the bigger thing that we see from the guys is it's being a full FedEx Cup event, right? The tour has transitioned now into it's about FedEx Cup points. Not that the not that the purses aren't important, but you know I have this, this we have the same 500 points to the winner as the, the Honda Classic does, um, you know in in February. So yeah. in in terms of the invitation to the Masters, getting in the World Golf Championships, um, you know those different benchmarks, we're right on par with everybody else. And I think that's what's important is that. You know, playing at the Sanderson Farms Championship in Mississippi is is really no different now than than you know playing at you know the RBC Heritage and Hilton Head and the Colonial and and Dallas. I mean, it's it puts us on par with everybody else, and it gives us the opportunity for everybody to to come here and play us if it if if they choose to. So, um, getting 
you know, in that stratosphere with everybody else was really important. Steve, in terms of talking to your colleagues across the country who are trying to get ready for, for golf tournaments in the next month or so, um, what are the challenges that, that they're facing that, that you have to learn from before September in terms of, uh, you know, whether it's social distancing? I know we go the first four tournaments with, without fans, but are there sure. things that you're going to have to do in preparation to make it safe for everybody? And, and I know there's some unknown that goes along with that as well. Yeah, there's a lot of unknown because, you know, again, you're to, to a large extent or to, uh, you know, you are having to defer to what your local authorities say you can do, right, um, in terms of the social distancing, the gatherings of, of, of groups, everything like that. But, yeah, I think there's a lot we're going to watch in terms of, um, you know, what are the essential personnel that need to be on site? Now, again, we hope that by September we'll have full spectators, pro-ams, hospitality, everything is as much sure. back to normal as you can. But I think the things we're looking for are what you need to do just kind of from a safety and security standpoint. I mean, what what are the players feel comfortable with? Are there things we need to do, you know, hand sanitizers, um, food prep? Um, the Country Club of Jackson does a phenomenal, you know, job with our food, but there are some things that the tour is going to require us to do. You know, we feed 156 players and 156 caddies every day, uh, twice. Um, courtesy cars. Hmm. Um, you know, again, hand sanitizers on the greens and the tees for the players. What do we do on the starters tents? Um, I think there's some things that come out of this that we say, hey, these are some good things we're going to keep doing. And there's some things that come out of this that by September are probably said, you know what, that was, we needed that in those first four events, but we're, we're okay, um, you know, kind of loosening the reins on that a little bit. So, you know, I think we're going to, and all the sports, I think, are watching each other. I mean, we're, yeah, you know, hopefully true. our event is hopefully after college football starts, right? So are there some things that we can observe from what, you know, college football and, is doing for their fans and their spectators. I mean, does it change how we do concessions? Does it change how we do, you know, uh, on-site facilities for spectators? Um, shuttle buses. Uh, it's just, you know, you're really kind of going back and taking a look at everything. Now, you know, again, I've got the luxury of watching to see what the other guys go through. Um, and, and, again, I hope, you know, by this time in September, everybody's, you know, excited to get out and, and watch some golf. So it's, uh, yeah. yeah, it's, there won't, we will have our hands full the next five months. That's for sure. Well, we're certainly looking forward to it and look forward to talking to you as we, uh, as we get closer. Thanks for your time this afternoon, Steve. No, thank you guys. Anytime. And, uh, appreciate you having me on. And we're looking, like I said, we're, it's all about, Hey, can we grow that number for the kids at Batson Children's Hospital? And, um, we're, you know, we're anxious to get back out there and beat last year's numbers. So, uh, Appreciate your help getting the word out. Thank you. Absolutely. That is Steve Jimp, Executive Director of Sanderson Farms Championship. We'll be right back. This is a place for crazy people. If it's sports in Mississippi, you'll hear about it here. Sports Talk Mississippi on Super Talk Mississippi.
conversation with Steve Gent on the Farm Bureau phone line to start the 5 o'clock hour. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott, Rippy. Um, Rippy, what did you think about like anything that, that Steve said that kind of jumped out to you in terms of tour restarting or the Sanderson Farms Championship at, uh, at the, I guess, third week of September? I think he makes a good point about them being in a pretty good position having it where they have it and given, like, in in the grand scheme of how all this has happened in the last two months or so, <coughs> excuse me, it being where it is and having a chance to see presumably a few different other sports restart and being far from the first PGA Tour event to start. Like, they are going to get to see how these tournaments are run without fans and then potentially uh, with fans at some point. So they're going to have a pretty good idea of what to do and what not to at that point. Because that was a point I made on uh, the podcast the other day. Me and Borky were talking about it. Is like, like not being the first is pretty beneficial because I feel like there's going to be some, in hindsight, fairly basic mess-ups that you just wouldn't have thought of just because it's so unprecedented. And by the time it gets to them, I feel like they'll have a lot of those kinks worked out to where it doesn't happen to their event. Yeah, be able to... Uh to run a good tournament uh, you know we looked at the the field last year and i don't think there was any question that it was the best field that the tournament had ever had the expectation i think is that it continues to uh, to get better in terms of the overall purse and the fedex points and the invitation to the masters if you win the the golf tournament do you think it continues to get better yeah, I think so. I mean, they put on a really quality event every single year, and it keeps growing, so I don't see any reason why not. Now, as far as, like, like you're going to reach, being a obviously a non-major golf tournament, like in terms of, like, a literal major, you're going to reach a ceiling in, like, you know, probably purse and FedEx cup points, as he mentioned. Like, you're probably not going to get over 500 or whatever. But, like, in terms of growing the event generally, yeah, I think they will. They always do a good yeah. job with it. Yeah, but, I mean, to, to your point there, I mean, outside of majors, nobody gets more than 500 points. It's the same... Number of You'll read uh, some some like ceilings as far as incentives incentives for winning and all that, but growing the event just like in terms of you know people awareness field and all that, it can definitely continue to get stronger. And I think the reality is you're you're probably not getting Rory and Jackson. Tiger's probably not coming to Jackson. I don't know that Justin Thomas is coming or Dustin Johnson or uh, who knows maybe Dustin Johnson comes one day. But that doesn't mean that you can't have a field that's got. What? Twenty of the top fifty in the world? Is that is that too is that crazy to think that that could happen? I don't know if this applies here or not, but uh, apparently Roy McElroy and Dustin Johnson were going to play at the Zurich, which is that uh, that partner uh, event in New Orleans. Yeah, New Orleans, right? You just kind of never know. Like your position changes on the schedule. Like I, I would have maybe I'm completely wrong, but I would have guessed if you asked uh, Mr. Gent on. You know, maybe four or five years ago, if this would be a standalone event ever, as it, or I guess this quickly or much less ever, what he would have thought compared to where it is now. So you just don't really know. It all depends on scheduling, where you fit on the schedule, uh, you know, what happens around it. Just depends. Sure. Yeah. So thanks to uh, Steve Gent from uh, for joining us. Hopefully we can uh, continue to visit with him as we get closer to the Sanderson Farms Championship. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey. We are just after 5 o'clock, actually nearly 5.30. We owe you the college football fix. 
College football fix driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com. Find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. Best-selling truck in America, 43 straight years. That is the Ford F-150. A member of the University of Minnesota Board of Regents was on Feinbaum's show. I guess that was yesterday. Michael Sue said to Paul Feinbaum on the radio he could see Power 5 conferences breaking away from the NCAA in the next couple of years, even if the Power 5 remains with the NCAA after the global pandemic uh, pandemic related to COVID-19. Quote, that could be short-term. Close quote. Also said he doesn't anticipate his school, University of Minnesota, opening up on time. But again, I think the bigger point here is this whole potential breakaway from the uh, uh, by the Power Five schools or the the schools that make up that moniker breaking away from the NCAA. Do you believe that the coronavirus pandemic is going to be the agent for change? In the NCAA, in terms of a new structure? I think it's possible, especially because of their inability to truly make money. Now, if you listen to the show every day, you probably heard me say that these colleges have all kinds of money, and they're both true at the same time. So in order to maintain their status with taxes and also the amateurism model, When these schools bring in millions of dollars, they have to then spend millions of dollars. They're kind of forced to with their current situation. They weren't really allowed. I mean, you have rainy day funds and stuff, but you can't operate as a business. Like NFL teams, for example, the Houston Texans still practice in a bubble. They don't have a permanent facility. It is a blow-up bubble. I think the Titans are the same thing. They don't have a permanent building because they operate as a business and they try to stockpile cash and run as a business. College athletic departments can't really do that. They have some money. They have rainy day funds, but they can't operate as a business. And because of that, they have the chance to hurt more than they probably could have when it comes to coronavirus. You don't hear NFL teams talking about making all kinds of cuts. Yes, they make more money, but... College athletic departments are having to make cuts across the board. Coaches are taking salary reductions. Sports are going away. Because they have to spend as much as they make most of the time. Okay, you said they have to and that they can't save money. Is that the case? Or is the case that they choose not they, to? They choose, they're, they're kind of forced into it. Yeah. If because they could consistently show a profit... That would be a great case for why they should pay their athletes. Yeah, right, and for I mean, Ole Miss and Mississippi or, State's or, budget has has skyrocketed lately. They haven't added a single sport. Pay their athletes would be one piece of it. The other piece of it would be why there is an argument for them to lose their tax exempt status. Right, yeah. and and there are athletic I said taxes, departments didn't that I? would make. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think you did in that. I was just responding to what Haydad said just a second ago about the, the paying the athletes thing. I would think that there are accounting practices that could still show you spending every dollar on paper, even though you're actually saving it, like in terms of transfers to your foundation or, or whatever, you know, based on on revenue that you generate. Or or maybe you're just really open about that. 
you know, there's some places, uh, University of Kentucky would be an example, where you have to raise the money in order to be able to spend the money. It's not a deal where you build and bond everything out and then you pay for it. I, I think theirs works in the opposite direction where you have to have like, I don't know, 70 or 75% of the money raised before you can get the approval to go through and build a facility. I think it's why it took a really long time for Kentucky's baseball park to uh, to get done. Um, it's a different way of thinking about it. I mean, it's a different way of thinking about finances for a lot of individuals as well. The idea of, you know what, I'm going to save up all this money so that I can pay for 75% of my house when I sign the papers on it. That's eh, not really the way we do it. I'm not saying there are people that are like that, but you have more people who are more are interested in okay, how little can I put down as a down payment and still get the financing? What is the minimum amount required in terms of a down payment? I feel like I kind of went off on a tangent, which I didn't intend to do. Is this going to change the way athletics departments operate financially? Is the uneasiness of this time that we're in right now of not being sure that you've got enough money to get through, of the possibility of having to cut sports or or whatever else, is that going to change the way athletics departments handle their money, or is it just, we're going to get through this dark time one way or another, we're going to get through it, and we're going to make ourselves whole again, and then we're going to start spending money like drunken sailors all over again in terms of facilities and coaches' salaries and whatnot. You would hope it would make you rethink um, buyout clauses and contracts, if nothing else. I mean, what, what do you think Florida State Athletics would love to do with $19 million right now? Sure. Oh, Ole Miss is and, in a similar boat. What is it, 166000 a month for a few years to their former head coach? Yeah. No, you're right. Jimmy Sexton, but don't man. you have to have? Don't you have to have? And I don't know that you can do this. I mean, I'm sure the agent community would figure out a way to find a, a lawsuit against it. But don't you have to have a bunch of athletics directors all come together and say, "We are changing the way we're negotiating. We will not pay these clauses." And everybody's got to work the same way on it, because if you just have two or three lone rangers out there, they're just going to miss out on the coach they want, while other people continue to pay the massive buyouts. Your college football fix driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Hey, Dad, I'm going to give you the choice. Do you want to talk about the super chicken or the robots? Mm. Let's go super chicken. Walker, Alabama. Police are searching for, and I promise this is in the story, Aggressive chicken accused of engaging in F-O-W-L play. Foul play. Huh. At an Alabama bank. He's very aggressive. The Walker Police Department responded to a complaint about the brazen animal on Friday. Witnesses told police the chicken had been spotted in the bank at multiple times in the last week, approaching patrons at the ATM, chasing customers and even attempting to climb into cars in the drive-thru. 
Police officers responded to the bank within a few minutes of the call, but found the pesky poultry had already escaped. Suspect remains on the loose. Police advise residents to avoid confronting the animal and instead call for help. It's like a possessed chicken. It's just Will Muschamp looking for a new job. Borky, you found this story. What's the hook here? What, what, what? <laughs> An aggressive chicken is fighting people and chasing them off at banks. What do you mean, what's the hook? There's your hook. <sighs> and then ran from the police. Yeah. It's just funny. You just drop it in there yeah. at some point did, in the show. And how did the, how did it's taking cockfighting to a different level here. We're now, now, now the chickens are fighting people. How did the, uh, how the chicken find its way to the bank? I think this was a domesticated chicken or a wild chicken. Is that like, it, it, why did the chicken cross the road? To get to the bank to start a fight? Yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Walker, Alabama. Where is Walker, Alabama? Is that southern Alabama? Or lower Alabama, as it is sometimes called? Walker County is where Jasper is, if that tells you anything. So that's in northern Alabama. Yeah, northeast Alabama. Okay. That part of the uh, state of Alabama, there's a there's a possibility this uh, this chicken's on meth. All right, here are the robots. Jeez, jeez, hey, Dad. I, I mean, that's just a fact. Have that's, you not learned that's... anything about characterizing large groups of people? There is that's not that is reported fact by the news. It's a good point. Wonder what the missing link is in this chicken case. Mm. I see what you did there. Adrian Wojnarowski at ESPN reported this morning that Adam Silver, the NBA PA, Players Association, and league owners and team executives are all working with a resumption in mind, though that would require a lot of things to be different from pre-pandemic NBA basketball, including the number of people actually on site in the gym or arena. According to Woj, the league is hoping to limit that number to around 30 including players. Considering player rosters and officials, it doesn't leave a lot of room for other people. One of the cuts may be part of the television crew. Camera operators in particular, they are considering alternatives in fanless games that could rely on robotic cameras and having announcers off-site, which happens on a more frequent basis anyway. It's just kind of a whole new world in terms of getting back to sports. And the technology piece of it is incredible. How about the idea, though? I mean, when you heard no fans at games, didn't you assume, though, that, okay, you're going to have players and you're going to have officials and you're going to have official scorers and you're going to have broadcast crews and then a few random people that make it in? Some media. Yeah. Doesn't sound like that's going to be the case. Could be. I mean, does that matter at all to you? Right up until it you know, affects, you know, my job. No, not really. But in there a way you could work around that? I mean, you could have media viewing it from somewhere else and then doing, like, Skype pressers. I mean, it wouldn't be ideal, but I feel like it'd be possible. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess they're trying to limit, like, overall the people in the building, but, I mean, these arenas are going to be big enough that it really feels like you could spread folks out as well. 
I hope you Go put Bear a camera does off the first Skype presser. <laughs> Jeez. Will he touch all over his iPad that he's... <laughs> maybe so. Maybe just start touching all the virtual uh, microphones. Yeah. Um, Borky, are we getting a timetable in the NBA at all? No, they've got a conference call on Friday with all the players, but no. As we mentioned earlier, they're, they're waiting on testing. That's that's the hang-up with them in particular. They are very concerned with optics. Whereas, if you look at the NFL, for example, they've just been chugging along. Everything has been on time, and tomorrow night they're going to release their schedule, and it's going to be the schedule as as if everything was completely normal. And I think they are far less worried about optics. You even had an NFL reporter on ESPN that owned the rights to the draft saying doing the draft is crazy because there is carnage in the streets. Like They, they could not care less about optics in the NFL because they know people are going to consume their product no matter what's going on around the world. With the way Adam Silver has operated as commissioner as, of the NBA, they are very socially aware and in some cases that's good the players are huge fans of their commissioner they they view him differently than some players view Roger Goodell in the NFL but the problem with being very socially aware is that you cannot start unless there's widespread testing because you're so aware socially that when people challenge the idea that why does an NBA player get an access to a test but I don't get an access to a test they feel like it actually impacts them when it really doesn't. Hmm. So which is the right way to go about it? I think the NFL approach is the right way to do it. It's working. Did you see? I mean, you you saw the numbers of the draft. They're doing a three-hour schedule release show tomorrow and it's going to get watched by a lot of people i saw a really funny tweet where somebody said if you just thought like list season was bad wait till after this schedule release 25 things you need to know about the chiefs week three trip to San to los angeles i mean it's going to be stuff like that because it's all we've got what are you anxious to see in terms of the schedule release from the nfl um whether the saints are going to vegas that, oh, they that's are. Certainly that's, one. that's guaranteed. Well, no, they're, no, it, they're playing Vegas. A, they're playing Vegas. It's not guaranteed to be a road game yet. Um, I'm interested when the first Saints-Tampa Bay matchup is because that looks like it's going to be must-watch television. Um, you know, see, see what some of the other big games around the league are. You know, what does the Chiefs' schedule look like now that they're the champions? There is you know, the 40, word out there that week one you could have Kansas City in New Orleans. Wow. Where do they put the primetime games that aren't flexed? Does that have anything to do with the like hot spots and whatnot? Yeah. Hmm. That's a really good question. That's a good question. So, yeah. so do you think they stay away from Giants, Jets having home games in primetime spots early in the year? Well, they I probably hope would just do that the, anyway, the Giants two terrible in, teams. In, in general, I think the Jets will be better, but like I'm, I'm so tired. Of, remember how many years in Eli when he was just shot that they had the Giants on Sunday night or Monday night football? It's like, yeah. what other four and twelve team would get this treatment? Hey, Dad, you're but, in luck, by the way. Guaranteed, New Orleans in Vegas this year. 
Who's guaranteeing that? NewOrleansSaints.com. Oh, well, then there you go. <laughs> Seems credible. I think, yeah, October 10th, I believe, is the date. So we'll uh, see what happens. Home opponents, the three divisional opponents, they have Aaron Rodgers in New Orleans. They have Pat Mahomes in New Orleans, the L.A. Chargers, Ooh. the 49ers, and Minnesota. They go to the three divisional opponents, Denver, Vegas, Detroit, Chicago, Philly. If there was ever a good year to have Saints season tickets, man. Jeez. This is the one. And of course, this, this is, is the one where you may not be able to go. So they, they, they have the Chiefs for. and the Niners coming to New Orleans? They have Kansas City, San Francisco, Green Bay, and then Brady, of course. If they win 11, 12 games on that schedule, you know they're, you know they're for real. Jeez. So you, you said Detroit, they go to Detroit and they do. who else? They go to the three division uh, opponents, Denver, Vegas, Detroit, Chicago, Philly. The road schedule. The Saints will play five games outdoors this year. You get your eight home games: Atlanta, Vegas, and Detroit. Yeah, they play outside five times. Carolina, Denver, Chicago, Philly. It's kind of weird. Four. Yeah. <laughs> well, man, isn't that going to be the case oh, for Tampa, most do- dome teams? Most dome teams, though. You know, they got Just eight at home. Depends on their vision. Yeah. Yeah, especially like in the NFC South. You know, you got two dome teams. So, five of sixteen games outside. Uh, Those will be Breeze's best games. (laughs) Probably not. If they get Saints Chiefs, we're going down there. We're doing a remote. Make it happen. Were you just hopeful that it was going to be the weekend of October 10th? Is that what you were saying? I think that, yeah, because that's State's bye week, if I'm I'm correct. That is correct. Sandwiched between Texas A&M and a road trip to Alabama. There you go. Sports Talk Mississippi with... Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.